This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat show and putting a wrap on the 2023 season. And uh, some dynamic things happening for the Georgia Bulldogs, some unbelievable records, the 29-game win streak, um, Kirby now 20 straight wins when he's had a week to prepare, seven straight top 10 finishes, seven straight bowl wins, and yet Georgia falls short of the goal and probably hard to watch last night. <clears throat> hard to watch a Michigan-Washington game uh, for a number of reasons. You know, I feel like – a lot of Georgia fans and followers, people familiar with the program, feel like, you know what? That's the kind of game Georgia would have won. And and I think it's possible they could have won. Listen, Michigan was really good. And beyond that, uh, Michigan got a lot of breaks and got a lot of calls. I did a column on that on dognation.com, and I felt like we deserved better. When I say we, I mean college football. Uh, the, the problem with the game, the problem with Michigan being there – this is a program, this is a coach, this title might ultimately be vacated. I felt like I was wasting my time. Like, why are they playing this game? I mean, we're still going to sort this out. There's still potential sanctions. That's not fair to those players. Uh, they didn't have anything to do with it. Um, but you know what? I also felt let down by the officiating. And if you watch the first quarter, it certainly looked like a Michigan blowout. I, I don't think there's any question Michigan was the better football team on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and their defense looked like the best defense in the country. Their their defensive line reminded me of the Georgia defensive lines of 2020, 2021, 2022. They were dominant. They were able to get a pass rush with only four guys so they could leave everyone back in coverage, and that's why Michael Penix uh, was in such a bind. Uh, he was being pressured with a four-man rush, so it was the worst of both worlds, pressure and coverage on the back end. They didn't have to blitz. Typically, when someone blitzes, an experienced quarterback like that can find somebody, but that didn't happen too often. I thought Washington was very creative in how they stayed in that game. I thought they were very well coached, but they were also overwhelmed. Um, but still, in the fourth quarter, it was a game, and it looked like Washington had struck for a 32-yard gain downfield, and they called a hold. And if you read the article, um, I pointed that out. Tim Tebow called it out. I said, boy, pretty bad when Tim Tebow's talking about officiating, folks. Um, but that was a really suspect call, and it brought the play back, and Washington punted uh, a couple plays later. Michigan gets the ball, and on the first play from scrimmage, very obvious holding call on Michigan doesn't get called. 41-yard gain the other way. That's a 73-yard swing, and Michigan went on to score, go up by two touchdowns. That was pretty much the game. And to me, football, like any other sport, the officiating is highly subjective. I kind of compare it to an umpire's strike zone. It's going to vary from game to game in terms of the level of physicality that they allow uh, the defensive backs to play on the receivers or the offensive line to play on the defensive line. The one thing that you ask for – is consistency. If you're going to call it on one team, you've got to call it on the other. And at the most critical juncture last night, that didn't happen to the extent that I would say that officiating affected that game probably more than any national championship game I've seen 
since Ohio State beat Miami in what, 2003 out there in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, a lot of people thought there might have been a, a, a pass interference or there was a controversial pass interference. And, and you just don't want to see the game come down to the officials. I, I believe Michigan would have won that game. I really do. Without the benefit of those two calls. But the fact that the ACC officials blew those calls. And, and here's another question for you. Why do they have to be ACC officials? If, if the two best teams, best teams play in the championship shouldn't the best officiating crew be out there that was not the best officiating crew that i've seen um in fact i didn't think they were good uh i don't i didn't like it 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 made me feel um kind of ripped off right like i thought gosh i I deserve better than this i'm gonna sit here and watch this game and you're gonna make these calls that that are gonna affect the outcome after i've watched you know washington scrap and claw and do everything they can to stay in this fight when they're completely overwhelmed and overmatched and you're going to just hand it to the other team with, with the non, with the call and a non-call and that that's, we deserve better. And and then on top of it, you know, reading through the transcripts last night and Jim Harbaugh, you know, we're innocent. We know we're innocent. We're Michigan men. You know, the, the arrogance uh, was just overwhelming and, and it made it really hard to appreciate, you know, what Michigan had achieved. And listen, I, I've, I've interviewed Jim Harbaugh before. I, I covered the Big Ten for four years. I've heard him speak. You know, he's he's a really interesting fellow, and he's extremely well-respected. But you put the guy in, in front of a, a camera, and he turns into a jackass. And and it was just a bad moment. It was like – it was awkward. And and I thought, man, why, why are we – why is this coach, uh, you know, talking about innocence and, and this whole superiority of a Michigan why – are you, why are you going there at a time – uh, when you should be a gracious winner, right? And and I, I reflected on, you know, how Kirby Smart handles victory. He's a gracious winner. Um, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't brag on himself. You know, he doesn't, um, you know, he talks about hard work. He praises the opponent. Um, he's, he's very honest in his assessment of his team, right? I remember the games they'd win and he would still say Stetson needs to play better. What did the Michigan quarterback do? Complete like 10 passes and Harbaugh saying he's the best quarterback. I mean, it's just, it was just like, you know, I think sometimes college coaches, uh, all powerful people, CEOs, college coaches, they hear themselves talk and there's nobody around them that's going to challenge them. And so they believe they can speak their message into existence. They can tell you that black is white and white's black and you're going to believe it because they're the head coach. And I think Jim Harbaugh is not in that world of reality. I don't think he was in a reality world last night. And so that on top of it, and then the final straw for me was I opened up this ballot for the Bear Bryant Coaching Award last night, right? I thought maybe Kirby Smart would be on there. So, what, what, you know, silly me thinking that a guy that won 29 straight games uh, and won his bowl game 63-3 to despite playing four quarterbacks, and including some anonymous guy I'd never heard of, I, that maybe a coach who'd done that despite missing his best player roughly half the year at 100% and a first-year starting quarterback. and a first, But, no, he wasn't one of the eight finalists, all right? The SMU coach was. Yeah, okay, whatever. Don't know who politic for him. But you know who else wasn't on there? Jim Harbaugh. And I thought to myself, no Jim Harbaugh? This, this guy just won a national title and he's not – whoa, because he was suspended six games. This, this does not shake out well, folks. History – is not going to look back on the 2023 season favorably. It's not a good look. Alabama fans, they're upset. 
They can say whatever they want about what a great job Nick Saban did, but he did a poor job being ready early in the year, lost by 10 to Texas, and it really hurt the league. It ultimately cost Georgia a playoff spot. Because Texas beat Alabama, they had to be ranked ahead of them in some pecking order, so Georgia didn't get in, right? And then Alabama didn't take care of business against Michigan in the playoff, and so here we are uh, with two future Big Ten teams duking it out, and, um, and that's the way it ended. Uh, I think most of us would agree good riddance to the four-team playoff. Not that the four-team playoff was bad, but the means of picking the four teams was unsettling. And once every two or three years, you know, downright discouraging. Uh, I was not happy with the way the college football playoff was picked, uh, probably more years than not. The 12-team playoff will provide us with some relief. One final thought. Uh, in this first segment. And then I'm going to bring on my guest, Chris Doring from the SEC Network. Really excited uh, to have CD on. Of course, you guys saw him at the end of every Saturday putting a wrap on the SEC. But when I look at what happened to Georgia and I think about the difficulty of their schedule and I look at what happened to Alabama and I saw how fresh that Michigan team was, I thought to myself, the SEC can't go to a a a nine-game schedule. It can't do it. This is why because the attrition level is too high in the SEC. If they take on that extra game, there will be more attrition from injury than other conferences that aren't as deep or aren't as physical. And the college football playoff committee sent a message this year that they're not going to take the depth and physicality into consideration in the SEC when they only put one SEC team in there. So we have to draw conclusions based on their actions. And to me, that is the argument for there not to be another conference game added to the schedule. When I come back, I'm going to get Chris Doring's thoughts on that. I want to hear what CD says about the season, his final takeaways on 2023. Uh, He was one of the people that picked Georgia to win at the beginning of the year. And then I want to ask him to look ahead. Based on what he saw this year, where does he think Georgia ought to be ranked? And who are some of the teams that are going to contend? But right now, I want to take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Really excited to bring on Chris Doring, former Florida great, one-time SEC receptions uh, record holder. Sorry, see, I got to bring that up, Chris. You held that record for, gosh, how many years? 25 25. Yeah, 25 years Mm -hmm. held the SEC touchdown career reception record. So uh, quite an honor for a guy that grew up such a fan of this conference, man. Though a walk-on, a walk-on from Gainesville who went on to play for the Gators. Chris, we're talking about the 2023 season, trying to put a wrap on it tonight. I don't know about you, but I I can't put it in my rearview mirror fast enough. Uh, A lot of things happened. I I wasn't a a fan. I I guess I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you just kind of your your takeaway on the national championship game. Well, it it was weird being at home, watching the game, not having an SEC team involved. (laughs) It felt like there was something we were supposed to be doing after the history of of the SEC's involvement in that game. But 
let's be honest. It was a down year for the SEC. It was a down year in the pre-conference schedule. Uh, struggled in those first three weeks of the season out of conference. It was a down year against the, the ACC, and, and that rarely is something that we deal with, a losing record against that conference. Um, it, the worst thing that could have happened for the conference in general was to have Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Uh, I mean, I think Georgia probably was a more viable contender to win it all this year, and you know, Alabama certainly handled business on that one day in Atlanta. But I think in terms of the matchup with Michigan, probably a, a, a much better uh, fit for, for winning that game, even though – you know, you look in hindsight at the way that Michigan kind of disposed of, of, uh, of, of Washington last night. Alabama played them more competitively and, and certainly you know, had more success on the line of scrimmage. But I just think Alabama, uh, probably not the same matchup that Georgia would have provided. But at the end of the day, I mean, it just, uh, I think I'm with you. It was a disappointing season for the SEC, and, and I'm ready to move on to, to next year and, and the expanded playoffs, which I heard you talking about, which I'm obviously very excited about. Yeah, you know, part of the coolness for me is is going into the stadiums, right? These teams are going to get to host games in their stadiums. That's going to be kind of cool. We're still going to have some of the neutral site bowl games. But uh, one more look back at 2023, Chris. Again, I I know it was a downer overall. I mean, my goodness, you know, the SEC, I guess now in the 10-year history of the CFP, four-team CFP, they finish 14-4 and when they're playing teams from other conferences. And, oh, by the way, uh, Alabama had all four of those losses uh, against other conferences. Every other SEC team that played in the playoff did not lose to a team from outside of the SEC once they got in there. But from an individual standpoint, when we look back at 2023, Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy. I'm going to be honest. Michael Penix got my vote. Other than Jaden Daniels, who were some of the stars, players, teams, moments that you're going to take away from the 2023 season. Yeah, I mean, that, that LSU offense was fantastic this year. And it, it's kind of the the uh, the negative reciprocal of that Iowa defense, right? If you had any sort of compliment to the, the LSU offense, that's a team that could have been in Atlanta, could have been competing for a college football playoff berth themselves. So I really feel like one of those generational type offenses was, was uh, wasted because of how bad their defense was. You know, as, as we look at, um, you know, the, the league in general, now, I thought uh, two, two storylines were really the major, major storylines, and that's Missouri and Ole Miss kind of putting themselves in contention. If we'd have had that 12-team playoff this year, both of those teams would have been in representing the SEC. You look at the, the season that, that Ole Miss had, I mean, really only losing to, to Georgia and Alabama. It's a pretty impressive uh, run there, winning 11 games for the first time in the history of their program and losing to only those two powerhouses on the national scale. So – uh, impressive with what they did. And, and obviously drink uh, Missouri, you know, kind of that proof of concept that, that people from in that state, Brady Cook from within that state, a Missouri fan, uh, you, you look at, at what the rest of those recruits in that area um, now can look at a program in, in, in Missouri that can get them to the, the, uh, the college football playoff going forward next year. So I thought that was kind of a huge storyline um, for, for my school, obviously, uh, kind of a step back five at seven, I'm here in Gainesville and, and a lot of folks really nervous about the future of the Florida program, the attrition through the portal with the number of losses to keep players is something that's kind of stood out to me. So it's, you know, we, we felt like for a while there that, uh, we were getting some balance of power back with the East catching up a little bit to the West, but, uh, with, with Tennessee backsliding a little bit this year with Florida backsliding as well um kind of the the wrong note to end on and you know your history your historian of this conference for so long when i was in the league it was the east dominating and the and the west kind of struggling so to end it uh on this note it's a little bittersweet for me 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, not exactly the year that some of those programs had hoped for. Certainly Billy Napier of Florida goes into next year on the hot seat. Uh, doesn't help him that ETN now is coming to Georgia. Chris, I'll ask you, you saw a lot of Trevor ETN. What is Georgia going to get with this guy? He's a dynamic player. I mean, this guy is, is uh, great carrying the football out of the backfield. Uh, can catch the ball as well, has good hands, and, and certainly is good with the ball in his hand after the catch. Uh, I, I'd like to, to see him maybe be a little tougher finishing runs. Uh, you may remember that that Missouri loss. Florida had a chance to, to run some clock. He stepped out of bounds and made a mistake, and I'm sure he'll learn from that. But uh, obviously he comes from great uh, lineage. Uh, his, his brother, a great player in the NFL, in the college in his own right at Clemson. So it's a huge get. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but it, it's hard looking around this league and seeing guys that you're used to playing at one SEC school now playing at another, but I guess selfishly, I'm, I'm, I'd rather see that than see Quinchon Judkins leave Ole Miss and end up in Columbus. So that that was a, a tough pill to swallow today as well. Yeah, and I know Georgia fans would have rather seen A.D. Mitchell back for another season. Yeah. They might have another national title if they did. A.D. Mitchell catching two touchdown passes for Texas in Tuscaloosa this year, uh, helping Texas beat Alabama in a, in a game that I believe uh, limited the SEC to just one team in the playoff, Chris. That was the game that really hurt uh, the SEC. You know, you've got, you know, you're got you a pretty easygoing, uh, cool guy, uh, even when Pete gives you a hard time. But but I saw your fur come up a little bit with Danny Cannell on Twitter. Uh, the Florida State-Florida rivalry, folks, I got to tell you, this thing is really real. This is not, this is not a put-on here. And uh, Danny was pushing your buttons, Chris. Um, what did you think about the Orange Bowl and, and some of the Florida State takes uh, on the opt-outs? This, this is a countrywide issue right now. It definitely is. And I love what Coach Smart said as it related to the state of college football, the bowl games, and, and what needs to be done. You know, I'll go back to my little soapbox here. Playing college football is not a, a God-given right. You know, it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to hone your skills to market yourself as a viable player in the professional ranks and to get a college education. You know, I, I've made more money with my degree from the University of Florida than I did playing football in the NFL in the 10 years that I was there. So I, I really think people need to remember uh, the, the entitlement is something that's kind of hard for me to swallow. And I'll say this, you know, the, these guys are just fortunate to be born at, at the right time. Um, you know, the, the, the real work was done by those that have come before that have made this game as popular as it is to create the passion of the fans, to create the, the, the desired contracts that these uh, television networks are paying to help, you know, fuel this, this, this sport right now. So uh, I, I, the entitlement is a little whack to me. I'd love to see this, uh, you know, something be done to kind of you know, get things back on track, but it's tough, man. I grew up a fan. My parents are both from the, from the city of Miami. I grew up a fan of watching the orange bowl. It used to mean something for that many Florida state fan players to, to opt out. It was a shame. You know, I was very happy to see Georgia let them have it the way that they did. Um, you know me, I'm, I'm an SEC guy through and through and, and certainly have a strong disdain for Florida State. So I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. But uh, that's a game, that's a, 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 a history there that deserved better than what Florida State gave them. Yeah, quite a paradox. And I think for Georgia, um, you know, if, if there was a way to, to have a happy ending without winning a national title, it, it wasn't necessarily the 63 to three margin. It was that the players opted in in this yep. opt out society. And that's all everybody wanted to talk about, Chris. And I said, well, now, wait a minute. Why are not we talking about Georgia opting in? 
That's the story here that you do have a culture where players play for one another, that they do feel responsibility to be accountable to the school, to their coaches, to one another. To me, that's the fix. Yeah. The fix is good coaching and, and responsibility. Now, you and I both know it's going to come down to dollars and cents. There's going to be contracts. There's going to be stipulations for these players to play. That's what's going to happen moving forward. Uh, next year's SEC. Uh, the expansion. I think we're all excited about it. But in hindsight, now I, with this playoff and the way the college football, the messages the college football playoff committee sent us about how they will not consider the depth of the SEC. I'm a little concerned, Chris, because these this schedule for these teams is really brutal. And, and there's yeah. going to be some more physical. There's going to be more injuries that take place in the SEC just by the nature of the level of play versus some of the other conferences. Your yeah. thoughts on next year expansion with Oklahoma, Texas. What's it going to look like? What are we going to be talking about a year from now? You remember, Mikey, it used to be that we'd look at the schedule and say, Here, here's the three-game stretch that's really going to define a team's uh, ability to have success. And now that's become a four-game stretch. I mean, I, you look at look at my alma mater. I mean, Florida's schedule is absolutely brutal, maybe the most difficult in the history of college football. You play – you got to go to Austin, your first trip out there as Texas becomes a member. you got Georgia. you got Tennessee. I mean, all of the usual suspects, LSU on there. Then you add in Florida State, Miami, and UCF out of conference – it's going to be an absolute grind, and it's, it's very similar for much of the teams in this league. You know, I heard your rant before I came on, and uh, as much as I hate what you said, it does make a lot of sense. I would love to see the nine-game conference expansion. I mean, that, 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 that 2020 season during the pandemic, uh, as, as weird a time as it was, it was awesome getting to watch a 10-game SEC-only schedule and getting to see teams play one another that they don't usually play. And so I think there's a, a renewed thirst to get out to the stadium again. I think that there's a desire partly because of what we lost during the pandemic, but you know, I think the schedule makers are giving us more appealing games. And so, you know, my biggest thing is if we're not going to expand the nine conference games, we have to eliminate the FCS games. That, that's an absolute joke to, to sell that to, to fans, to television networks as a viable game just doesn't make sense to me. So I think we need to, uh, if we're not going to go to nine games and I understand the argument why, you know, teams and, and coaches wouldn't want to do that then we need to, to change up the, the scheduling and eliminate the FCS games. Let's make that a spring game. Let's eliminate the inter-squad games. I think it's a, a product that could be marketable during the spring where you get a, an opportunity to see some of your young guys playing a more real-life game situation against another opponent. It's something that will be marketable on television and makes some revenue for, obviously, the SEC, but those schools that need it for their budgets at the FCS level. And uh, an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to really find out you know, get a jump on where you are heading into the next season. So I, I like that idea, but I, I shoot it, it. It would be awesome just to play from from a former player standpoint. I could tell you, playing the the the, the directional schools, playing the FCS schools, it's a bummer, particularly mid season. So I do like the uh, the idea that the schedules will get a little bit more difficult. But I mean, look at look at Michigan. They just shoot Georgia did it the year before, fifteen and zero. Man, it's crazy to think about winning that many games. Crazy to think about playing that many games, uh, and 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 just to. To, uh, to think that could expand even more heading into uh, next year is crazy. 
want to detour a little bit, Chris, and take you in a little different uh, area here. Now, with the transfer portal and players having the freedom to go from one school to the next, this is kind of a Georgia-specific question. And I don't want to say that Georgia has a receiver problem, but it, it seems like they have a receiver problem in terms of getting the marquee guy. They can get the great running backs. They can get the great defensive players. They can get the great quarterbacks. But I don't know that Georgia is friendly to receivers, not because of the offense, but because of the physicality of practices. So I want to ask you to reflect on the good old days at Florida. What were practices like? And you played in the NFL as well. How physical is it on receivers in practice? And how much difference does that make for a receiver trying to get through a 15-game season? Well, I'm going to go down your path because I've never really been at a, a Georgia practice before. So I don't know how physical it is on the receivers. I know how physical it is on nine-on-seven drills and what they do with some of the, the team stuff. Most of the time, you know, receivers aren't involved in, in full contact. I mean, you know, it's, it's stupid to have your, your receivers out there in vulnerable positions getting hit by, by your own secondary. So, you know, a lot of the contact that receivers would have would be in blocking drills and, and trying to, you know, help get guys up to speed in the run game there. Um, but I, honestly, it's not, a, it's not a huge thing for me. In the NFL, by the time you get to late, midway in the season – you're, you're taking the pads off. There's not a whole lot of contact that you're actually being involved with with any any team. So I, I think, you know, the, the, the balance for coaches is creating physical practices so that, that players are ready for the, the grind of the SEC season to, to, to be ready to tackle. I think that's part of one of the reasons why we've seen defenses struggle more in recent years with the decline of live tackling in practice. But I, I do think there's a, a necessary balance between putting guys into positions to – to, uh, to be ready for the physical grind while also not wearing them down too much physically. Yeah, it's one of those things I hear whispers of. You're not going to see anybody quoted on that. You're not going to have any receivers come out and say this is an issue. But I've heard this over the last – you know, Georgia's got Bloody Tuesdays. They call it Bloody Tuesday. From a marketing standpoint, I, I, I might change the name of that just because you don't want that perception that you're going to Georgia. Uh, but but they tackle fantastic. Kirby Smart, to me, Chris, the, the best coach yeah. in college football. I just wonder – the way Kirby changes with the game, and now that this transfer portal is a thing, um, and and we look at how players have, you know, Lad McConkey got hurt in a scrimmage uh, in the fall. You know, why was why was he exposed? You know, I look at that. You know, Brad, Brock Bowers, his issue. Um, you know, people probably, you know, I kind of heard the whispers of this from the Bowers camp. The Vanderbilt turf was not safe in their opinion. You know, th that's a, that's a whole nother issue. But I just that was something I wanted to ask because I think that's I, that's going to evolve. Mike, I'll say this, though. Georgia's not the only one. I look at Alabama. I mean, it's crazy to think about Alabama not having wide receivers. That was one of the big deficiencies of that team. And even, you know, Jermaine Burton, to me, was never it never lived up to kind of that hype that he had coming into Georgia and, and going to Alabama. But. He's your number one. And I was, in, I was in the Rose Bowl, looked out there when the game is tied late in regulation, and, and they got about a minute and 45 seconds. All they need to do is get in field goal range. And I'm thinking, who are you going to throw the ball to? There's no, there's no real go-to player at the receiver position. So that's not something specific just to Georgia. But um, I, I do agree with you. Like the, the game has been so much about the proliferation of the throwing the football you got to have skill guys. You got to guys have guys that can go win on one on one on the outside. And uh, you know, there's some of the best teams in this league that were limited at that position. 
Yeah, LSU, LSU seemed to have the market cornered. Yeah. You talked about the prolific offense that they had. Even Tennessee had a couple pretty special guys. Uh, final thoughts, Chris. Looking into next year, we've seen a lot of these way too early top twenty fives. We're going to see more. There's, you know, everybody's undefeated again. It's like the Daytona five hundred. Everybody thinks their car can win going into next year. What's your read based on what you saw this year and what you've seen take place through the portal? And obviously, it's going to change again after yeah. the spring. Well, I thought Georgia's the favorite to win the national championship again. It's hard not to to buy into them with what you know Carson Beck was able to do this year, and, and what you you know to be a stockpiling of talent, even though that that talent may not be as deep as it it once was. But um, you know, the, the, the Georgia's still. I'm with you. Kirby Smart uh, is, is right there at the top in terms of of coaching. Um, you know, I look at I look at the job Lane Kiffin's done in Oxford, uh, not only in terms of winning 11 games this year, but continues to, to bring in talent through the portal. The question I have is, was this year an aberration in that you got all those new faces? I think they had like 48 new players or something that came in this year to get all of them to acquiesce together and to be able to be on the same page and have the chemistry they did was really special. Can you do that every single year with an influx of new players? I think is the question we're going to have to ask, particularly next year. But, um, you know, th those are, you know, Alabama, Georgia will, will be there, presumably. But uh, off the radar, you know, I, I think uh, Ole Miss is the team I really have my eye on heading into next year. And obviously, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, um, how will they be able to acclimate to, to what you talked about earlier? And I, I, I completely agree with you and experience that as a player, the cumulative effect of playing in the SEC week to week takes a toll on you. And uh, I'm interested to see how. Oklahoma and Texas will be able to handle that. Yeah, Georgia not helping themselves out uh, with that Georgia Tech. You know, Georgia Tech now uh, starting to become a little bit of a factor, uh, a little bit of a stinger there with Brent Key. Uh, they, yeah. they gave the dogs uh, what they wanted. Only five of the Georgia's 29 wins, Chris, were by single digits. They, they won 24 of those by double digits. Georgia Tech, one of those teams that uh, played within single digits. Uh, look, look forward to seeing you more on the SEC Network, man. I, you do a fantastic job walking Thank the you. line. There's a lot, I guarantee there's a lot of Georgia fans watching this going, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I love this guy. He's a Florida guy, and I love him. You win over a lot of fans, uh, Chris, with your objectivity and your knowledge, and I know I really appreciate watching you and having you on the show. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate uh, what you do as well for this conference and, and for all the shows that I'm on that you come on. And, man, I'm really looking forward to uh, – you know, honoring Coach Richt with what we're doing with the uh, Spurrier Award. Uh, you and I have worked diligently on that uh, here the last few years. So excited at the end of February, not only will we uh, name the first year coach of the year, but we'll have uh, Coach Richt in Gainesville uh, as the legend coach that we'll be honoring and just uh, have so much respect for him and what he's done in his coaching career, what he did at Georgia. So excited to uh, hopefully get a few Georgia dogs down there with us to celebrate their old coach. Yeah, sounds like there's going to be a lot of Georgia fans in Gainesville, and we don't get to say that much when it comes to football, but we will on February 26th. Chris Doring, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon, Mike. Great stuff from Chris Doring. I uh, love working with CD. He's a pro. Uh, as he mentioned, we do uh, some shows together on the SEC Network. Chris works with me on the Steve Spurrier Award and the Freshman All-American team. That's going to be coming out later this week. Uh, could have a couple of Bulldogs on that team coming up next who's hot who's cold brought to you by anytime healing cooling and plumbing stay with us you're watching mike griffith on the beat
Anytime heating, cooling, and plumbing. Our family has been making sure Georgia fans and their families are comfortable for over 20 years. Let us do the same for yours. Anytime. Service repairs and replacement with trained systems. Our trained comfort specialists are carefully selected to visit your home and offer you a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Anytime offers an annual three-visit comfort plan starting at just $155. Visit anytimehvac.com for details. Anytime. Large enough to take care of your heating, cooling, and plumbing, but small enough to care. Now, about Mike Griffith, then certainly that annual maintenance plan pays for itself and protects you and your family as temperatures dropping. This is the cold time of the year. Usually, Georgia weather, we love it, but this time of the year, not my favorite time of the year for weather. Um, I'll tell you what, um, the way the Georgia football team finished, you know, they were hot, and it certainly made us all. Uh, reflect on the season and what might have been, what could have been, and and why it wasn't, right? And you, we can go back and, and break down the SEC championship game, and we can talk about Carson Beck underthrowing Arian Smith, so it's a field goal instead of a touchdown. We can talk about a fumbled exchange in the backfield that leads to three points. We can talk about Ernest Green getting beat on a block and leading to a five-yard loss and then a, a false start penalty and, and a 50-yard field goal that hits an upright. We can break it into those plays. A freshman blowing coverage on first and 20 leads to Alabama's first touchdown. But what led to those breakdowns? What led to the Bulldogs not looking their best, looking tired that day? They looked tired that day. Dig a little bit deeper, folks. That November stretch, for all the talk about the Georgia football schedule and how easy it was at the start of the year. And it was, it it started out very light and that worked in Georgia's favor as Carson Beck grew more comfortable as Mike Bobo grew more comfortable with Carson Beck in the offense. I think we saw that Georgia team evolve as the year progressed and they were playing so well by the time they got to November that they were able to beat three straight top 25 teams. But but these weren't just any top 25 teams. Let's take a look deeper at what those teams did in the bowl season. Missouri, right? What a slugfest that was. Missouri ran the ball. That was a line of scrimmage game. That was a toss-up at the line. Missouri went on to beat the Ohio State 14-3 in the bowl game. That Ole Miss team Chris was talking about, that was a powerful offensive team. Jackson Dart and the Rebels, everybody was talking about upset alert that week, right? Georgia hammered the Rebels. The Rebels beat Penn State in a bowl game 38-25, two touchdowns, right? Then Georgia goes on the road and they play Tennessee. It's a tough season for Tennessee, right? Tennessee beat Alabama in the first half, remember that? Georgia goes in there, gives up that early touchdown, comes back, beats the Vols 38 to 10. What does Tennessee do in the postseason? They beat Iowa 35 to 0. Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa. These are teams Michigan played uh, down the stretch. Michigan beat Penn State 24 to 15. Ole Miss beat them worse. Michigan beat Ohio State 30 to 24. Missouri beat them 14 to 3. Michigan beat Iowa 26 to 0. Tennessee beat them 35 to 0. My point is this. Georgia played a very difficult stretch. And and then and then Georgia Tech and I know this this pains some Georgia fans and excites others. I I don't understand why Georgia fans want to play a team that that's this hell bent on beating you the last game of the season, but some people like that rivalry enough. I think it's an extremely dangerous game. And I think Brent Key is going to make them even more dangerous every year. But that was a physical game in Atlanta. 
those ACC officials, they didn't help the dogs out that night. That was a tough whistle. That was a game decided by single digit. Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia Tech, which also won its bowl game. All those teams finished strong. Georgia had to go through the gauntlet just to reach the SEC championship game. Michigan, not so much. Purdue, Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State, Iowa, much healthier team at the end of the year than the Georgia Bulldogs. Schedule plays a huge role in the college football playoffs. And when Greg Sankey said that two teams deserve to be in, my question would be, well, which two would you kick out, number one? Um, but, or excuse me, which other team would you have kicked out to put Georgia in? Some people might say Texas, but let's be honest, folks. Texas beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa by 10 points this year. It's really hard to say that the team, that Alabama should have got in over a team that beat them by 10 points in Tuscaloosa, even if it was in September. It's even harder to keep an undefeated team out that has a healthy quarterback like Michigan did, like Washington did. Florida State didn't have a healthy quarterback, okay? I, I know I keep – we're, we're never going to hear the end of that argument uh, from Florida State fans. My point is this, though. Pay close attention to the schedule. The schedule is where it's at in college football. They, these teams, as Chris said, they're not equal. Uh, an FCS team is nowhere close to being as good as an SEC team. There's still some imbalance. There's more parity than there's ever been, but there's still not a lot of parity. The schedule is going to be paramount to these teams and their momentum – going into the college football playoff. And now that you're talking about potentially having to win four postseason games, if you're going to count the SEC championship, the first round game, if you're not in the top four, if you're not a conference champion, if you lose the SEC championship game, but you make the top 12, you've got to win a first round game, a second round game. you got to win four postseason games. This is like the NFL. Attrition is a factor. You saw how Georgia got worn down this year. That's why I'm suggesting that Kirby Smart is going to evolve with this, okay? Every time there's a rule change, every time something changes in the game, Kirby Smart is among the first coaches to adapt to it most effectively. He's a guy that says if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. You better believe that Kirby and Mike Bobo and Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, these guys are going to be brainstorming on how to keep Georgia fresher, but still keep Georgia sharp every Saturday. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a long season. But I think the Bulldogs are built as well as any program in the country. I think they have tremendous depth. I do think they need to shore up that D-line really big, that Stackhouse and Brinson coming back. That's huge. But those veterans have to make that leap. They have to make that Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt leap for Georgia to win a championship. I believe the defensive line let Georgia down this year. That was the weakest position group on the team, in my opinion. I think that the perimeter receivers, they've got to find a perimeter threat. Lad McConkie was fantastic when he was healthy. I don't think they have anyone like that right now. I think they might need to get another one out of the portal. Some people talking about the quarterback that they added from UNLV. Uh, I believe he was his conference freshman of the year. Fantastic player. Someone said to me today, I did a radio show in Nashville. They said, this guy could, this guy is brought in. He could be a starter one day. I said, let me tell you something. Every player that Kirby brings into Athens could be a starter one day. They don't recruit backups here. Okay. Everybody is considered a starter that they recruit. They got to go out there and win it. They got to go out there and compete. But Kirby's not bringing anybody in to be a backup. He's bringing them in to compete to start from day one. 
That's the culture. And guess what? He, he could love you as a player, but he's going to try to recruit somebody better than you every year. That's the nature of the beast. That's how it is in a championship program. Everybody accepts that. On the flip side, those same players respect it when the backups go somewhere else to play. And I think this is an area for fans. This challenges fans. It's hard to see a player go somewhere else and play. And sometimes fans, not all fans, the 10%, I call them, they get kind of ugly about it. That needs to stop. Coaches go other places with no recourse. Nobody's cussing out Fran Brown for taking a better opportunity. The Georgia players understand that some of the backups are going for better opportunity. Kirby Smart has said, this is a good thing. You know, and now sometimes you lose a younger player that's a freshman that's only played one year. You don't want to lose those guys. Kirby says you're not really giving the program a fair chance if that happens. But if you lose a second or a third year guy that's not starting, it's not a bad thing. Don't hold it against the players, especially publicly. And I've seen a lot of that. There's been some frustration uh, over the holidays. Um, I guess I myself, you know, holidays can be tough, they can be stressful. Try not to take it out on student athletes. One of the things that I've noticed about Georgia fans, even when I covered Alabama, when I covered Auburn, when I covered Tennessee, I always felt like Georgia had one of the classiest fan bases in the country. I always felt like my experience in Athens was going to be a positive one, right? I was going to be treated with respect by people. People were polite and kind. It's that sort of place. I think that's part of the Georgia culture. Now, you get a few more people on the bandwagon when you're winning games, okay? For those new folks that don't know how Georgia's done it for decades and the personality that Vince Dooley created around Georgia football, this is a classy place, right? So win and lose with class. Think about what you put on social media. I know parents read that. I've heard from some of those parents during these holidays, and, and there's feelings out there. So kind of my PSA, think about what you put out there on social media, on a message board. It may seem harmless or on a social media post. It may seem harmless, but those players and their families, they read that. And, and I don't think George is, is by far uh, one of the worst offenders. I really don't. Again, I think this is a very classy program. But every time I see it from – and it just may be one or two. I just, it just disappoints me a little bit because I think about the image – that decades and decades and decades Georgia has built uh, as one of the classiest programs in college football. And I think Kirby Smart is carrying that out. Um, I think he's a winner. And I think this program is is fantastic. I'm looking forward to the offseason. Uh, there's going to be more news. There's going to be more stories. You guys catch all that on dognation.com. You know, Brandon Adams comes to you every day at 10 a.m. on Dog Nation Daily. Uh, Jeff Santel on Wednesday night before the hedges. I uh, see a lot of programming with Kaylee Manziel now, Thursday nights. Uh, Connor Riley on Sunday. Um, Connor with a lot of stories on dognation.com. I'm doing some columns and analysis stories myself, and certainly Jeff bringing you a lot of recruiting this time of year. Uh, he was at the All-American game. I think you're going to see more pictures and profiles from him. So check us out on dognation.com. You can find us. So we got a YouTube page. You may be watching us there. Of course, we got the Facebook page. A lot of people watch us there. You can find me on Twitter. I was a little combative last night with some of the fans. I've got to admit, I was a little combative. I, I kept it classy. I did. I kept it classy. But if you go to at Mike Griffith 32, 
Uh, you might see a little Twitter action from last night of that Mike Griffith 32. I want to thank everybody for joining me. And I want to thank Chris Doring. What a first class guy. I want to thank Kaylee Manzel for her production. And I want to thank you for watching. Everybody, have a great week. <laughs>